Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Daniel. We're going to be in chapter 1, verses 1 through 21, and I'll read the first four verses for us now as we prepare to hear from lead pastor Travis Simone as he kicks off our new sermon series titled The Location of Jesus' Church. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. I want to make sure we all feel the gravity of the first verse, Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Babylon came to Jerusalem. Babylon came to Jerusalem. See, Babylon represents all that is opposed to the rule and reign of God. In verse 2, we read that the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar. And the readers of Daniel, the first readers of Daniel, they would hear that word Shinar and they would be brought back to a well-known story in the book of Genesis, as God called his people to be fruitful and multiply, eventually, as God's people were multiplying across the earth, they came to a plain in a place called Shinar, and there someone said, let's build a tower. The tower of what? The tower of Babel. The beginning of Babylon. The beginning of Babylon It was birthed as the place where humans sought to achieve godlike status on their own. Babylon represents the place where humans seek wisdom on their own terms. They seek to define right and wrong as they please and to reach the heavens like the great tower of Babel on the plain of Shinar to reach the heavens in their own strength. Jerusalem represents the place where God's presence dwelt among his people. At the center of Jerusalem was the temple. At the center of the temple was the Holy of Holies. At the center of the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant over which the very presence of God dwelt. And inside the Ark of the Covenant... There were signs of the covenant between God and his people. Inside the ark, God's commandments were housed. Tablets of the Ten Commandments. Symbols of God's provision were honored. There was a jar of manna. There were examples of God's power to be remembered. The flowering staff 
of Aaron. On the mercy seat was to be sprinkled blood. The mercy seat of the ark was to be sprinkled blood on the day of atonement because people in Jerusalem acknowledged that they could not cover their own sin. Verses three and four. The king commanded Ashaphaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. And Chaldeans is just another word for the Babylonians. You see, Babylon came to Jerusalem and God's people were carried off to Babylon. Imagine their emotions as they're being walked across the desert. Imagine what they said when they arrived in the new city. The good news is we don't actually have to guess. The Bible records some of their very words as they entered into Babylon. It's in Psalm chapter 137. I'll read verses one and four. By the waters of Babylon, we, by the waters of Babylon there, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How do we live here? How do we live in this place where God is not honored? How do we live in this corrupt culture? How do we live faithfully in the midst of an unfaithful land, they ask? I have a question. Where is our church? You might say our church is in Virginia, in the United States of America. It's in the historic triangle. We get to live in the birthplace of America, Williamsburg, Virginia. You might say our church is located at 3899 John Tyler Highway. And in a physical sense, those things would be true, but not in a spiritual sense. The Apostle Peter tells us where our church is located. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. See, the location of Jesus' church, as the apostle Peter makes clear, is in exile. Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the first sign of the breaking in of God's new creation. But we still live in a land that is not our true home. And so as a church in exile, we too must ask Psalm 137's question. How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Do we seek power? Do we curse our enemies? Should we get revenge? These are all options that God's people considered 
as they worked through their emotions and their pain and their anger at being exiled to Babylon. You can read about it in Psalm 137. It's quite honest about what God's people were feeling. But I believe Daniel 1 provides the answer to the question, how shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. God gave his people into the hand of the king of Babylon. It's shocking, but it tells the truth about how we're to sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. See, when Babylon comes to Jerusalem, God sends us to be faithful within Babylon. When Babylon comes to Jerusalem, God sends us to be faithful within Babylon. Now, Daniel's faithfulness and that of his friends in Babylon has two aspects to it. I'll call these two aspects, and we'll be in Daniel for the next two weeks, and I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a moment. But Daniel's faithfulness in Babylon, the two aspects of it are what I'll call faithful resistance and faithful engagement. His faithfulness takes on sort of two dimensions, faithful resistance and faithful engagement. Our chapel-wide small group study will be looking at this theme of being sent into the world as God's missionaries. We'll be using a book by a great missional thinker named Michael Frost. It's entitled Surprise the World. And he talks about the tension that we can all feel between faithful resistance and faithful engagement. He writes this, the difficulty for many people seeking to live missional lives is negotiating the spectrum between withdrawal, between being withdrawn and judgmental on the one hand and entering fully into a social setting that might be considered ungodly on the other. And I really look forward to this small group study. My small group is doing a reset, and we have a few new couples that are going to be joining us that have been felt a little more disconnected during this time. So again, if you're not in a small group, see our group's pastor in the foyer after the service. We would love to get you connected into biblical community. I'll say this, as you hear Michael Frost talk about the tension between these two things, both faithful resistance and faithful engagement are necessary. You need them both. You see, if you only practice faithful resistance, as some Christians are apt to do, you end up constantly fighting against Babylon or fleeing from Babylon. On the other hand, if you only practice faithful engagement, some Christians end up floating with the culture of Babylon and lose their distinctive witness to the gospel. So I got this text from Rich Sylvester, our lead associate pastor, this week, and it was a picture of this. I think it was prophetic, actual photo of your pastor trying to cram all the wonderful biblical insight from his studies into a 30-minute sermon. I really think it was prophetic because my original draft, 
I talked about what does it look like to faithfully resist? And then what does it look like to faithfully engage? And when I spilled onto the fifth page, I thought to myself, maybe Rich's text uh, had some truth to it. So I've actually divided this sermon into two. And I will talk about faithful resistance within Babylon next week. And today we'll focus on faithful engagement in Babylon. But please hear me. I wanted to keep the introduction the same. Please hear me. Both are necessary. Faithful resistance and faithful engagement. But today, let's look at how we practice faithful engagement within Babylon. It starts with honesty and courtesy. Thank you, Rich. I pray. Rich is smiling. He's patting himself on the back for the good deed he did for all of you. Okay. Starts with honesty and courtesy. Honesty and courtesy. Let me read verses 8 through 12 of our passage for us. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my Lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. I want to highlight a few words from this section. Daniel says first, I resolve not to defile myself. It almost sounds defiant. I resolve not to defile myself. But then look at what he does. It says, he asked. He asked the chief of the eunuchs that had been placed over uh, him and his friends. He asked for permission to do this. He then listens carefully to the official's concern. The official says, I could get in big trouble for this. This could cost me my life. He listens to his concern And so he devises a wise test rather than an emotional ultimatum to create a win-win scenario for both parties. Let me just repeat that because this is a bit foreign to our culture these days. He creates a wise test rather than gives an emotional ultimatum to create a win-win scenario for both parties. If you think I'm going overboard with the word courtesy here, there is an additional word in the Hebrew that doesn't get translated in the ESV translation. They dropped it out, and I'm not criticizing them. It's very difficult to translate the Bible, but there is another word there, and the word is please. Go to that slide. Please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Daniel is honest about where he needs to draw the line. He tells the truth about the king's food and wine. 
but he does it in such a courteous fashion, he wins over the court official. Faithful engagement means honesty and courtesy. Second, faithful engagement means strive for excellence. Strive for excellence. Verses 17 through 20. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature. God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. Apparently, they studied for the test. They didn't say, we refuse to learn your worldly knowledge. That's beneath us. They excelled in the task that was given them. And they became wise and discerning interpreters of Babylonian culture. The word for wisdom in Hebrew comes from the Hebrew word for skill, And we've defined wisdom as we've gone through a few series on Proverbs here at the chapel. Here's our definition for wisdom. We say, wisdom is the art of skilled living. Wisdom is the art of skilled living. The skills they brought to life in Babylon were highly valued, even by the Babylonians. Practicing faithful engagement means striving for excellence. And third, embrace your place. Embrace your place. Sometimes we get to the end of a scripture passage and we see a, a, a detail like what's in Daniel chapter 1, verse 21. We just kind of gloss over it. I think there is such power in the message of Daniel chapter 1, verse 21. Uh, hear that verse again. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. Daniel stayed. Daniel stayed. Let that just wash over you. He stayed. He never fought a war against Babylon. He never fled from Babylon. You'll hear me use those words a lot in this series. He stayed living faithfully within Babylon. There are 70 years of history between Daniel 1 verse 1 and Daniel 1 verse 21. 70 years have gone by. Just imagine all that Daniel had to navigate to embrace the place of the king's palace. Just imagine all the times Daniel wanted to just run away from it all. Just imagine all the moments when he felt like it was just too corrupt for him to be there. And Daniel 
stayed. Not just in Babylon, in the very heart of Babylon, in the king's palace. Practicing faithful engagement means embracing your place. So when Babylon came to Jerusalem, God sent Daniel to be faithful within Babylon. So what about us? The church in exile. When Babylon comes, how might God send us to live faithfully within our culture? Just a side note for parents out there. This is a great topic for you to discuss with your kids. We know in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that parents are the chief disciple makers of their kids. This question of what do we do when Babylon comes to Jerusalem? It's a great one to ask and answer and talk through with your kids. And this book is quite easy to read. It would be a great resource as, as well, as well as hopefully the sermon series here. So how do we... How does God send us to live faithfully in our culture? Daniel, among other heroes of the exile, like Ezekiel and Esther, they are the biblical models for how we answer this question. So let's talk through applying Daniel's practices, Daniel's habits, we might call them, for faithful engagement in our own lives. So let's go back through the list. Honesty and Courtesy, honesty and courtesy. Let me ask this question. Where are you tempted to fight against Babylon? Where are you tempted to fight against Babylon? Where are you tempted to do something sinful because of your anger at Babylon? Where are you tempted to be sarcastic about Babylon or or to put someone down? There's a... a, uh, there's a very silly radio show that I listen to, and as different, uh, different statements are made on the, the radio show, sometimes they'll make fun of the statement by, by saying, put it on the poll, and they do all of these different polls for the audience, and they're all meant in jest and, and for fun, and as they discussed some of the different reactions to some different things, it's a sports radio show, so it's... it's it's not quite that serious. As they were discussing all of the, the reactions to some different things going on in sports, they, they said, put it on the poll. Is outrage the nation's new national pastime? Is outrage the nation's new national pastime? Hear these words from Titus chapter three. Remind them to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. And why does the Apostle Paul have to introduce uh, these instructions, these commands with the word remind them? Because we forget. Paul says remind them. What a challenge. Perfect courtesy toward all people. And then we might do well to ask the question, why? Why does Paul instruct Titus to instruct the church that he leads? To show perfect courtesy to all people. And this is 
key. If we miss this, we're going to miss the whole picture of what it looks like to be faithful within Babylon. Titus 3, verses 3 through 6, directly following, show perfect courtesy toward all people. Why? For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Let me summarize. You were Babylonians. If we miss that, we miss it all. You were Babylonians, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions. Paul says you were the Babylonians. Remember that. Remember that and how you treat that. Honesty and courtesy. Remember, we, can all, we also need to ask, and we'll talk more about this next week, not just about courtesy, but remember honesty. Where have we compromised biblical values? And about what or to whom do you need to be honest about where the line really is? And I actually can't cross that, and, and here's why. Honesty and courtesy. Second, strive for excellence. Strive for excellence. The title of the small group study is called Surprise the World. Surprise the World. And we'll talk about five habits of highly missional people. This week's habit is to bless. And here's the author's definite, here's the challenge of, uh, uh, of this week's habit. Bless. I will bless three people this week, at least one of whom is not a member of our church. Daniel and his friends used their skills to bless the king of Babylon. Using their skills to bless their captors likely surprised the world. We're talking about how do we surprise the world that we're in? Just criticizing and being outraged, guess what? That's now a part of just general culture. That doesn't surprise Babylon to criticize and be outraged about it. What would surprise Babylon was using our skills to bless Babylon. Using their skills to bless their captors likely surprised the world. I have a friend, goes to the chapel and uh, he is a doctor, and he wrote a book about customer service. I love that. He's a doctor, and he wrote a book about customer service. It's called Ring Bell for Service. Never force your customers to get your attention when you should already have theirs. What a great tagline. Never force your customers to get your attention when you should already have theirs. And this doctor writing a book about customer service is using the skills of what he's learned 
running his practice to bless the world. Say, here's how you can really and truly care for people that are coming to you. It's not just about prescribing the right medication or knowing how to do the right procedure. It's about making sure you pay attention to the person and their needs. He took his skills and what he's learned, he's blessing the world with it. When you do what you do well, whatever it is, in whatever arena you find yourself, when you do what you do well, it builds a foundation for relationship and it pushes people to ask questions about your motivation. That's one of the challenges of our study, to live questionable lives. Not questionable as in compromising biblical standards lives, questionable as in are our lives worthy of people asking us questions about why do we live that way? Why do we, in my friend's case, why do you pay attention to your patients like that? Next, embrace your place. Embrace your place. Last week, we finished our series entitled The Relationships of My Church. And I'll just tell you, as a pastor, oh, I could, just, I could just stay there, just talk about the relationships of my church. We were, we were talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and make no mistake about it, the quality of the relationships within the church was another way that God's people surprised the world in the first century, that people who had no connection to each other, who did not know each other, started all of a sudden feeling so closely connected that the only way they could describe their relationship was by using the words brother and sister. I love talking about how we relate to one another as a church. But this year, as we figure out what Jesus meant when he uttered two words, my church, we've chosen this graphic to describe what we're doing. Hopefully this can be a, a graphical representation of what Jesus meant when he said, my church. You see, the church, the word ecclesia, originally in the first century meant a group of competent citizens who were called out from their homes to gather together to make wise decisions about their communities and, and laws and, and policy and then return to their community to help their community live out the decisions that were made. There's a calling out from the community to gather and then there's a going out from the gathering back into the community. I described this to our graphic designer and, and usually it takes a, a few tries. I, I go, oh, give me a little less of this, a little more of that. And she always does an amazing job to take my words and to put them into pictures. This was the first thing she showed me and I went, that's it. You got it. You see, we come in, follow that line, we come in to gather together to be brothers and sisters in Christ. And then we are sent out back into the world. We gather and then we go. And you see the angle on that arrow looks like, what's it gonna do? It's gonna come back in about, I don't know, seven days for us to gather again as brothers and sisters in Christ and then to go back into the world. And it just imagine that loop just goes on and on. We gather and we go, we gather and we go. And so as we go, and that's what this last series was about, the gathering. This series is about the going. 
as we go, maybe ask the question, what about your place do you need to embrace? What is not going well in my community? What could I do to make it better? And I'm going to give you a few examples right from the chapel family. Tremendous organizations that have been started just by people asking and answering this question. What is not going well in my community? What could I do to make it better? COFAM, the Community of Faith Outreach Mission, where we provide the emergency winter shelter shared by churches across Williamsburg. There, were, there was a group of people, one of whom was right from the Chapel family, that felt a burden for people that didn't have shelter in the winter. And they started this organization that's been going for years now. It's, it's led to great cooperation among churches in Williamsburg. Because someone right here, sitting right where you're sitting, saw what wasn't going well in the community and asked, what could I do to make it better? The Lackey Medical Clinic, Jim and Cooka Shaw, sitting right here in this community, saw there was a, a, a group of people that were not being served medically in an in a under-resourced part of Yorktown and said, well, what if... You know, on a night of the week, we just went down there and we saw whoever would come in. It's blossomed into a, a medical ministry that sees and cares for thousands of people on the peninsula. Right now, in process, is something called the Cambridge House. A couple from the chapel purchasing a home right across the street from the College of William and Mary to help create a Christian study center for young men and young women that are coming to William and Mary and, and maybe having their faith challenged for the first time to have a, a safe place to come and to, to ask questions and to have dialogue and to bring in speakers to show what is the Bible really all about and how does it work with history and how do we share our faith in this environment? What's not going well in my community? What could I do to make it better? And remember the commitment of Daniel. 70 years, remember, 70 years he was in Babylon. What if when things got hard, followers of Jesus were known for staying? When the school board did things we didn't like, we stayed. When we could afford maybe a better house, we stayed because we want to keep getting to know our neighbors. When our boss is just driving us crazy, we stay. So he or she can see our commitment. And maybe we can share our faith. Or when we just can't attend another one of those meetings, so we're, we're looking for that other job. I just can't do that again. We stay to keep building those relationships with coworkers. Jeremiah writes a letter to exiles that we'll look at in more detail at the end of this sermon series. He writes this letter. It's a famous Bible verse. He says this, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. We stay because we've been sent. The city where I, God, have sent you into exile. We stay because we've been sent. You might say, is there any fruit from Daniel's ministry? 
What, what could happen if we faithfully engaged in Babylon? Well, about 500 years after Daniel, there were wise men from the east, and they came to Jerusalem saying, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. How did they know? Where were, how would wise men from the east, how would they know that there's a king of the Jews? How would they know that they should come and they should worship him? Could it have been that Daniel, over the course of a lifetime of faithfulness within Babylon, alerted some of the empire's wise men of God's true salvation plan, that one like a son of man would come, not only as king of the Jews, but as king of kings, and he would be worthy of universal worship. So let me put it bluntly. You've been sent to Babylon to point people to Jesus. When Babylon comes to Jerusalem, God sends us to be faithful within Babylon. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are excited to help you connect to Christ and his community. Have a blessed day.